Good morning, everyone. What a wonderful looking crowd. Good looking group of people. Grateful to have you all out with us today. Um, the title of the sermon today is Everybody Loves a Sweetheart Deal. We like those sweetheart deals that's too sweet to miss, right? So, does anybody like a sweetheart deal? Anybody, anybody love getting a sweetheart deal? So, uh, I know Mr. Greg, he, he likes sweetheart deals. He, he searches the stores over, and especially during uh, Christmas time, he loves sweetheart deals. So, he waits till Christmas is over, then all the stores puts everything on discount, right? You wait till they give you a little bit of a discount. Well, sometimes a lot of discount. I've been in big lots with him before and seen him get some real good deals on some Christmas stuff. 90% off. You can't beat that. Buy something for 10%. That's pretty good, right? That's a sweetheart deal. Um, we're grateful uh, that you're out with us this morning, and hopefully you do like sweetheart deals. But today we're going to be talking about relationships, and the world is full of relationships, and God wants us to be able to uh, function and um, strive for perfection in our relationships. So we're going to Talk about sweetheart of a deal in relationships today and pray that God will deliver to our heart what he wants to say to us as a church today. But we're going to read out of the Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 25 uh, is where we're going to take our text from today. Matthew chapter 25, we'll start at verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet their bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took their oil in their vessel with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. And when the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready with him went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came out also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I don't know you. Verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your house. Lord, that we could be built up in our faith. God, I pray today for all the relationships in the room. God, that you would allow us to see through your lens, that we could see and know and understand what your word says to us and how it applies to how we're living. Help us to be wise in all of our actions. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. This text that we read is talking or being written from and on the account of Jesus. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was letting them know that there was some things beginning to take place and things that was going to happen and he wanted them to be aware of those things. And he tried to give them a foresight of how to react in the situation. And in our lives, sometimes there are some things happens that will be happening in our future that God tries to give us foresight 
that we can look ahead and take advantage of his word and apply it to our heart and live a better life because of his forewarning of what is yet to come. Amen? So today as we read this, let's look at it from the perspective that Jesus had been spending three and a half years of his life that he took. He chose himself 12 disciples. He joined them together. They're all in a club. They got like the He-Man Woman Haters Club and, you know, Darla, you're not allowed in and all that kind of stuff. We all got them kind of clubs in our life, right? So Jesus got all of his boys with him, and but he's not a He-Man Woman Hater. He loves women and Mary Magdalene's there and there's all kinds of women throughout Scripture. And Jesus wasn't a misogynist. He was one that loved and cherished his mom. Uh, I love you, mama. Everybody say, aw. That was a sweetheart deal, wasn't it? That was one of them sweetheart deals right there. But Jesus is talking to these 12 disciples, and he's got them out there, and he's trying to allow them to have this foresight. He's trying to give them some advantage for their future, and he's talking to them, and he's letting them know. So if you look through your Gospels, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that the majority of those Gospels were written the last two weeks of Jesus' life. And how important it is to end well. It's one thing to start something, but it's another thing to finish something. So Jesus is wanting to end well, and he's really pouring it on now. And I believe the reason there's so much is written about these is because it was in the disciples' mindset because Jesus was literally trying to pour into them so much information these last couple weeks of his life. And he's standing there and he's telling them, you know, that I'm going away. And one of our favorite things at a funeral that you hear is John chapter 14. You know, I go away and I'll prepare a place for you and I'll come and receive you to myself. We quote that scripture a lot. And where I am, uh, going to be a house of many mansions, all the stuff that Jesus talks about in John chapter 14. It's kind of that same type of thing, what we're reading here today. So Jesus is telling his disciples, look, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like a, a, a wedding type event. And in the Jewish world that they was living in, they knew what those wedding type events looked like. Uh, and I'm sure Jesus knew what they looked like because the first miracle uh, listed in the New Testament is where Jesus went to the wedding at the Cana of Galilee, right? That he was there and he turned the water into wine. We know the story where Jesus did that. So Jesus has got an understanding of how marriages and weddings take place. Uh, I'm grateful for weddings. I'm thankful for weddings. And a lot of people call on, on, on me to d perform their weddings. It's kind of wild. Even people in the community that I don't even know, they'll call, hey, uh, can you do our wedding? I always like, yeah. One time, the quickest warning we had, uh, somebody called us from Florida and said, I've got a niece that lives in Lewis County, and she's looking for somebody to marry them, and uh, they want to get married. I said, okay, sounds good. Just let me know. And she's like, no, they want to get married. I was like, okay. I said, like, when? She said, well, right now. I'm like, okay, well, we got a church down in Vassburg, so if you'll have them meet us there in about an hour, we'll take care of it, right? We'll get it done. So, And literally, they walked in, and, and they was there, and I had two witnesses with them, and I performed a ceremony, and we done pictures and tried to do it the best we could, and I love that. I love being able to do that. One of the old-timers in our community was Raymond Willis, and I don't know, he married everybody in the world, I think, Raymond Willis did back in the day. Uh, Pap knows, can remember probably Raymond Willis was one of them guys that just, he was the, he was the wedding man, and he performed a lot of those. It feels like his mantle after he passed away must have fell to me or something, uh, because actually we're kin to the Willises back a few generations through the Lyles. But uh, I love performing weddings. I love performing ceremonies. And I think it's something that our society needs. 
Amen. That we as a church should promote weddings. And I loved what happened last fall with uh, my cousin Jason that was came to church here. And him and his uh, girlfriend at the time, they was like, we want to get married, but we can't afford a wedding. And everybody in the church here at Bethesda joined together. And some people, uh, Amy went and asked people for help. And she got people to donate stuff that didn't even go here. It's pretty awesome, right? And, and Rachel made the cake. And uh, Elizabeth done her hair. Just everybody joined together. And we made a wedding possible for somebody that it was impossible for them to have a wedding. And how awesome is that to be a part of a church that makes those kind of things happen? The impossible possible. That's who Jesus is in us. Amen. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about this wedding scenario so that they could see and understand uh, from their perspective what he was saying. So he was saying if there's a wedding going to happen that there's these bride, uh, bridesmaids, and they get together and they have a good time, right? That's kind of the same way in our culture, that bridesmaids, uh, they, they are uh, anxious and anticipating about a wedding, and they'll, they'll get together and they'll doll up the bride and they'll take care of her and, you know, and, and anticipate all this stuff and and Jesus is saying they're there, but there's 10 of them. There's 10 of these bridesmaids. And five of them are wise, and five of them are foolish. So there's two types of people in the world. Right? There's wise people, and there's foolish people. You can be smart, or you can be dumb. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So if I want to be one of the wise ones, I need to apply the knowledge that I have. So if Jesus is telling his disciples, look, as I go away, the kingdom of heaven is going to be likened into this marriage or likened into this event. And whenever you see them and know that, I want you to understand what happens there. It's kind of going to be like what happens to you. But there's two types of people that's going to be left that's going to be waiting for this event. There's wise people and there's foolish people. So if we look through these and we can depict all kinds of different things that goes on uh, in this text and we can pull it apart and I've heard a lot of sermons and one of my, one of my first ten sermons was from this uh, text. So there's lots of things that you can draw from account like the door being shut. The message I preached then was about the days of Noah and how that whenever God shuts the door it's over. The Bible says God can open a door that no man can shut, and he can shut a door that no man could open. So as we see this, that there was a door shut at this wedding feast, right? And, and, and that's like the days of Noah. Once God shuts the door, it's over. Our ability to do anything about that is, is just impossible. So as we read through this, I want us to see that there was a 10 of those people there, and, and it's talking about purity. So if it's saying they're virgins, that means they're pure, right? That there's a purity with them. So is purity the question of what Jesus is talking about? I think it goes deeper than that. That we can be pure, and is that the account of this story? Is it the intent of this story? I don't think it is. Because that was the account, and if purity was what made the difference for people getting into the feast, all ten would have went in. But Jesus says only five of the ten got to go into the wedding feast. And that's symbolic of heaven. So your purity will not get you to heaven. Somebody say amen. amen. Your purity will not get you to heaven. What am I saying? Your actions and your ability to remain pure and your ability to come to church and attend church, your ability to, to read your Bible every day, your ability to pray, and I'm not, I'm not tearing down any of those things, but I'm just telling you that will not get you to heaven. Amen? amen. 
It won't get you to heaven in this story. Jesus is telling his disciples, you can, you can, you can have that ability to take care of business and remain pure, but that's not what it's going to take. He says what it's going to take is the ability of those that are pure to have oil in their life and the oil here in the Bible, if you read the scriptures, you'll see anywhere oil is, is, is listed, it's usually a sign or it's symbolic of the Spirit of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit to be born again in the kingdom of God, and that's the only way you'll ever make heaven your home. It's as simple as that. Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood for us so that the Holy Spirit could come and minister to our broken vessels, our broken souls, and we could become saved. Everybody say amen. Only Jesus can save you. Don't wait till you clean your life up good enough to give it to Jesus. Give Jesus your life just the way you are. Come to him broken, undone, where that you feel like that you can't fix yourself and just say, God, I'm a broken vessel, but I'm coming to you today and I'm asking you to clean up my life. And he will. He absolutely will. The oil is the important component in this story. So let's think about a relationship with God. A relationship where that our creator, our heavenly father, deposits the Holy Spirit into our life. So it says here that all these ten virgins had lamps. All of them had lamps. The Bible says it's not God's will that any would perish, but all would come to him through repentance. Every one of you has got a lamp in your heart, but your lamp will only burn if there's oil there to burn. Has anybody ever seen your grandma's old... They used to call them coal lanterns. I don't even know what coal is. I don't think you make oil out of coal. I think it's more kerosene right, type stuff you put in there, right? So they put them in there, and whatever you do, that oil goes up through the wick, and you trim your wick off, and then you light the wick, and that oil comes up through the wick and, and comes up, and whatever it does, it burns on top of it, and it makes light, right? Jesus said we're the light of the world, didn't he? Amen. Right? So the only way that you're ever going to burn for God is to allow his oil, the Holy Spirit, to come in your life and take up residence there, and it will change you, and it will change everybody around you. Living in darkness is no fun. Amen? We all know that, yes, there is a pleasure, and Jesus even said that there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that's just a season. Sin's no fun after a while. Amen? The older you get, the more wisdom you get, the more you look out and say, man, that was kind of dumb. Anybody ever do any dumb stuff? Am I the only one? I, I need to raise a hand here. Who, who's ever done something dumb? Yeah, we're, we all do some dumb stuff, right? Pat's got both arms up. He's, he's all in. I'm with you, brother. Me too. That's me. I've done some dumb stuff in my life. But the older I get, the more I want to have wisdom, Right? And I want the Holy Spirit to come and reside in my life. And I want to be full of God's presence so that whenever I come in contact with people around me, that they can see a change in me that becomes a change in them. Amen. Amen. The, the Spirit of God is addictive. 
I, I think that people, you know, that a lot of things in this world is addictive. There is opioids and there is alcohol and there is all kinds of things that's addictive. But if you ever come into contact with the presence of God where that you are so humbled and humiliated and fall down on your face, prostrate before God, and you know that his presence penetrates your life, you know in that moment and you say, wow, what was that? It becomes addictive, and then the more you're around it, the more you expect it, and the more people around you are saying, wow, what changed about you? A couple years ago, a little kid at church went up to his mom here and says, Pastor Ben Jesus? Mommy said, no, Pastor Ben's not Jesus. I had a person ask me one time on a job. They said, I can see Jesus in your eyes. Is that always the case? No. A couple of events, a couple of times, a couple of moments in time where that I was living in such a way and shape, the presence of God. But how much do we want it? How much do we want to endure in that, to remain in that? It says here that some of them's vessels were not full. Some of them were full, some of them were not full. Some of them didn't have any. How much oil do you have? Won't you look at your neighbor and ask him, say, how much oil you got? What I'm saying is, how much of the Spirit of God are you packing with you today? Amen. Are you packing a powerful punch? Are you packing enough where that it's changing lives in you and around you? If not, we all can go somewhere and get some oil. So in this story, five of the wise virgins said, won't you go get oil? Won't you go over and get some oil? So that tells me that getting oil is possible, right? There's a place, a supply house where we can go get some oil. So if you run out of gas in your car, where do you go get gas? You go to the gas station, right? Or if you're like my sister, you run out of dad's where he's got a tank sitting there and have him go down and put some in it so that you can get by for real cheap. It didn't work. He couldn't put it in. It was too fancy. The car was too new. Couldn't even siphon out of new car. That's pretty sad, ain't it? So if you want gas, you go to a gas station. If you want food, you go to a restaurant or a food store, right? We used to have a girl here that went to Bethesda a long time ago. She said she went food shopping. I always thought that was kind of odd. I guess it's kind of enjoyable if you look at it that way that some people can't go shopping for food, so it is food shopping. It ain't got, I always call it grocery shopping all my life, but she'd always say, let's go food shopping. Like, okay. So where do you get oil? Where do you get this oil that Jesus is talking about to his disciples? Where does the oil come from? If you look throughout Scripture, you'll see that there's the reading of the Word that brings the anointing. There's times where the word of God is spoken and oil is present. So I believe by reading your Bible and being in a sermon or being involved in a church service or getting involved in a connection group that oil can flow anywhere the presence of God is, there is victory, amen, there's mercy, there's grace, and that oil flows when we get and interact with each other. So I believe relationships are important in Christianity. Amen? And sure, you can go to heaven without going to church. I absolutely believe that. There was a missionary that came to us a few years ago, and they was talking about that they was in a region of the world where that there was not one missionary, there was not one church, there was not one Christian for miles and miles and miles around them. Do I believe that that individual, because they didn't go to church, is going to go to hell? Absolutely not. Because the oil of God is present wherever you're at. 
Amen. I believe the presence of God can be wherever you're at. So if you're working out of town and you can't get to church and maybe like Frankie you used to work on the boat, right? And maybe you're on the boat for 21 days. You can't come to church. But guess what? God's presence can be wherever you're at. So the oil is there. I believe God's presence is always with us. And he has a relationship with us. And if we come to him and say, I'm a broken vessel in need of the presence of God. I need to bow at the cross and I need to ask God to fill me up. So maybe today you're sitting here and you're saying, Pastor, I feel like I'm running on empty. Pastor, I feel like I'm just running out, that my oil is run dry. Guess what you have to do? The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Amen? If you ask today and say, God, I need some more power in my life. I need more of your presence in my life. When you begin to ask, when you begin to cherish, when you begin to look for, it's going to come. It is going to come because God's not going to withhold anything from you. He's looking for you more than you're looking for him. I love this story. There's so many things we can get out of it. Relationships are so important. So it says here in Matthew, and Jesus tells this story about marriage. And I believe marriage is important. Everybody say, I believe God believes that marriage is important. Amen. Why would he put it in his Bible if it wasn't important to him? I believe marriage is important. So Jesus is telling this stuff about marriage. It's a sweetheart deal. Amen. Think about how blessed Leslie is. <laughs> yeah, her dad's even amen in that. I, I think he's just as blessed to get rid of her or something. I don't know what went on here. Maybe I got took. Here, I thought I got a deal, Greg. Sometimes you get burnt when you think you get a good deal, don't you? Maybe I got burned. It's a sweetheart deal. I feel like I won. Because in my life, I'd went through relationship after relationship, and I'd been through hell, and I'd been through turmoil, and I'd been through this and been through that in relationships. And whenever I come and bowed at an altar, and I told God, I'm going to give you my life, that's what I did. And I went five years and went on two dates in five years. Talking about relationships. Because before that, I couldn't be alone. If I didn't have somebody, I'd go find somebody. <laughs> and I'd hunt until I found somebody. That's the way it was. Sometimes you had to lower your standards, but you'd still have somebody. Amen. <laughs> but once I come to the cross, it changed me, Ernie. And one time I was going to work with my cousin, and he felt like that he needed to hook me up. Here I'm a Christian, and I, I'm trying to do the right thing and live the right life, and my cousin just like, guess what, I'm going I'm to hook you up. So we go in the gas station every morning, and there's this real pretty girl at the counter, and we go in and out of there, and we go in and out of there every day, stop at the same gas station, get my coffee, get my little Debbie, and walk back out, and everything's good, right? So one morning he stays in, and he makes sure to get behind me in the line, and he goes up to the girl, and he said, that guy likes you. She must have been pretty lonely or something. She's a pretty girl, and she come walking out to the truck. She said, he said, you like me. I said, I, you're kind of cute, I guess, yeah, I, whatever. 
She said, well, you want to go on a date or something? I said, I don't date anymore. So I go to church. She looked at me and she said, can I go to church with you? I said, yeah, yeah, that's all right. So that I pick her up that weekend. She goes to church with me. She goes to church. She don't. She never been around church much, I don't guess, or something. So middle service, I'm sitting up there on the front row. She's beside of me. What happens? She gets up to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay. I'm just paying attention to church. Everything's going good. Good service. Good sermon. Good altar call. Everything's happening. Next thing you know, church's over, and I start looking around. <laughs> Where do you think she's at? She walked home. Didn't tell nobody. Nothing. So I'm there, and I begin to freak out now. It's like, oh, God, some dad's going to come looking for me because his daughter went on a date with somebody, and he lost her at church. So I, I don't know. I, all over, and, you know, then everybody else starts asking me, well, well where'd that girl go? I, I don't know. They hunt all over the property, everywhere. Start, you know, then I start trying to call. Well, she's not here. I was like, they hang up pretty quick on that. <laughs> Come to find out, she walked home. They found her walking down the road. You think that was a girl for me? I don't think so. I don't think so. Walk off. It's your loss, right? That wasn't too good of a sweetheart of a deal, was it? And I just go through life. I'm just living the single life and going to church and doing my thing. Then all of a sudden... One day I'm sitting in a Sunday school class, and my teacher is there, and he's talking on relationships. He starts a class on relationships. So I, I joined that Sunday school class. Like I, I want to learn about relationships. Sounds good to me. Well, I'll be prepared when I get married, right? So I sat through this relationship class. Who do you think the teacher is? Ernie Barber. Then Pastor Wells comes up to me and says, here's the keys of the van. You're going to drive the van, but you're going to go pick up kids. And I said, well, I don't want to do it alone. I need somebody to ride with me. So I just asked my Sunday school teacher, you care to ride with me? And he's like, okay, I'll ride with you. A bunch of hoodlum kids. And so every, every Sunday for about a year, we're in the van every day, riding over to Ironton, picking up kids, bringing them back, having a good time, me and Ernie. And he starts talking about his daughter that's in Louisiana to Bible college. Then finally, his daughter comes home. So Leslie comes walking in a church service, talking to her. I hire you, whatever. Then she tells her mom that I'm some old guy and she don't want to do with me. And her mom says, yes, you are. It's an arranged marriage. <laughs> it's Karen's fault. It ain't mine. Uh, no. Relationships, I believe there's somebody for everybody. Amen. 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 I believe there's somebody for everybody. And God brought my person to me. And I'm grateful for that relationship thankful for Leslie and I'm thankful that it took me five years to get the wrong thinking out of my life by attending church 
where that God could allow the oil to come inside of here and change me from the inside out. And am I the perfect husband? Leslie says no. She wouldn't have liked the old version of me. Not who I used to be. He's still working on me, right? According to the song. But this marriage is anticipated. So the anticipation in this story is kind of amazing to me because Jesus is telling this story for people to hear and he's telling them that there's an anticipation that the, that the virgins are there, that the bridegrooms are there and, and that the uh, bridesmaids are there and they're all anticipating this event, right? And Jesus is trying to paint a picture for us that we can see that there needs to be an anticipation of him returning and receiving us back to himself. So it's kind of like I've been around enough people now and in life that I've seen some military families and maybe there's some young guy that gets, you know, that he's going to sign up for the military and he's going to go away and, and he's maybe gets called up and maybe they're telling him, hey, you're going over and you're going to fight in this war or whatever. And that young man might not have got married otherwise, but all of a sudden it becomes an anticipation thing. It's like, wow, I want to go ahead and get married and that way i got something to look forward to when I come back, right? So they go ahead and they, they get married and they're waiting and they're waiting and he goes on his deployment and he's away and he's away for a long time and then whenever he's away, he's thinking about, man, I can't wait to get home to my wife and I can't get, wait to get home. It goes both ways. It could be the female going and the male staying back. It works both ways. And they're thinking, man, I can't wait to get to back. So whenever they're away, what do they want their spouse that's back to do? Be faithful and await. Amen. Amen. Amen? Be faithful and await. Yes. I talked to my great aunt. She was living in a blue house with a blue roof up here. When I older out eight. She was old, and she got to the point where she didn't remember much. But I was sitting and talking to her at a reunion one time, and she said, when me and Clinton got married, he went away to World War II. She said, Ben, I was faithful. Ben, I was faithful while he was gone. She said a lot of my friends wasn't. I was faithful. And I appreciated that so much. Because we don't have to be. We want to be. So the deal is, Jesus said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back. And I'm going to receive yourself... Re receive my bride when I come back from my church. And what he's asking us is, are you going to be faithful? That's the wise and the unwise. How are we acting while he's gone? Amen? Amen. That's what faithfulness is. Being pure. Keeping the Holy Spirit. Remaining true and loyal to, even when they're gone. And Jesus is not here in the flesh with us right now. But he left us his spirit. Are we anticipating his return? Are we living life thinking Jesus is coming again? And I want to meet him in the air. I want to be ready. The Bible talks about a trumpet blowing. And when that trumpet sounds, it says we will be caught up to meet him in the air. Are you ready? Are you pure? Are you ready? Is your heart full? Do you have enough oil to make it? That's our anticipation. Is it there? It's a sweetheart deal. He gave his life so we don't have to. That's a sweetheart deal if I've ever heard one. Are you anticipating it? Are you looking forward to it? Proverbs 31 says this, An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. I found mine. 
Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Whenever you find that person and you know it's somebody you want to be with forever, it's such a blessing. It brings comfort. And I look, I, I look around and some of the ones that's been married for so long and so many years, Sister Joanne that attends the Vanceburg campus, I watched her and Brother Lovell. She loved him with her whole heart. She would just pat on him and pet on him. Brother Lovell would pet on her and love on her, and they'd been married for umpteen years. I cherish that. I long for that. And because I found a wife, I found a good thing, and I obtained favor from God. For those of you that are maybe single and you're thinking, well, Pastor, does, does God have somebody for me? I want to say absolutely. Without a doubt, I can unequivocally say that, that I know that God has somebody prepared for you. Why? Because his Bible says so. Amen. Marriage is important to God. He said, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. It's kind of something that we need to see that God wants us to be together, that he wants us to have somebody. So if you're single in this place today, know this, that God has somebody for you. And maybe he's got them on a five-year sabbatical so that they can get cleaned up and get their mindset straight, that they're not polluted with all the past relationships. Maybe God is arranging something for your future. Maybe God's got his hand on somebody and you don't even know it yet. You don't even know who they are. He might put you in a Sunday school class with your father and all, and you don't even know why you're being taught about how to treat his daughter. He didn't know that. Only God can do things like that. It's important. But experience isn't the only teacher. Jesus was never married, so how can I go to Jesus and get marriage advice? It's like Jesus has given marriage advice here in Matthew chapter 25, but he's never been married. But guess what? He's God. He created the heavens and the earth. He created everything in it. He created male and female. He created uh, humans. He created animals. He created the birds of the air. He created the sea. He created the land. He, it's all His. And if He can't speak to it, who can? So if you want to know about your marriage, if you want to know in waiting for marriage, if you want to understand some things about marriage, get in the Bible. It's full of stories that helps you plan for that. Here's the best one that I know of that I love, this one. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, if you love your wives, you better have something picked out for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Somebody say a big amen. Right, Dennis? She might even tell you, oh, don't get me nothing. Jason, don't fall for that, man. Don't get in that trap. It's kind of like they say, whenever they want something to eat. Well, what do you want? I don't know. You want a little, little Caesar? No, I don't want that. You want river? No, don't want that. You want red lobster? No, don't want that. So apparently you don't know what you want, but you know what you don't want. So pick something, right? Eventually, somewhere. Say something. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives. And here's the best part of this verse. Just as Christ, Jesus, loved the church and gave himself up for her. Amen. I would die for my wife. To sanctify, cleansing her by the washing through the water of the word. This word will purify your heart. Amen. These sermons will purify your mind and your heart. And to present himself a glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus is looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
where when his dad says, go and get your church. You've been waiting a long time, and I'm telling you, that five years seemed like an eternity to me. Finally, whenever he showed me Leslie, and I looked over at Pastor Wells, and I hadn't even, even really talked to her or never went on a date yet, and I told Pastor Wells, I was standing there beside him one day at worship. She was up there. I said, I'm going to marry her, Pastor. He said, that'd be good. That's all he said. <laughs> that'd be good. She didn't even know it yet. I'm going to marry her. Or made a deal with her mom. The arranged marriage is happening. So experience isn't the only teacher. So sometimes like medical gas, I teach it, but I, I've worked on a few jobs where medical gas is, but I don't know a lot about it, but I do know the code book. I've been through classes that taught me the code book and how medical gas is supposed to apply and how you're supposed to run it and the way it's supposed to be done. You might work out on a project and know how to do something that you learned from somebody else how to do it, but maybe it's the wrong way. Maybe marriage is like that. Maybe you're taking advice from people out in the world that don't know anything about what the Bible talks about marriage, and you're getting advice from everybody else, and you wonder why it's messing up and why it's not working. Go back to the code book. This book has the answers, I'm telling you, that will change your life. And whenever you get inside of here and dig inside of here, mine's falling apart. And I'll never forget, whenever Ernie would teach his lessons in Sunday school, I just got saved, wasn't too long before that. And I would look at his Bible, and it was falling apart, and I was, I was envious of that. I was envious of a Bible that would fall apart because it had been read so much and been devoured. father-in-law that taught me what to, how to take care of my wife. That taught me to love her unconditionally. That told me relationships can be built. It's a sweetheart deal when God shows you how it's supposed to be done. I've never loved anybody like I love her. Am I perfect? No. Is she perfect? No. But God in us makes it special. Honor your wives. Love your wives. Because I know that this is a marriage that's in God's writing. It's in his making. And it's Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him and turned the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God at the throne of God. He's still working on us, church. He's still supplying oil in this room today for empty vessels. And you may say, Pastor, I'm broke. And my vessel's broken and it seems like the oil's dripping out. That's okay. God will mend the broken parts of your life. He will continue to fill you up. He will continue to sustain you. He will continue to work on you. Relationships are important to God. More than anything 
anything else. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a personal relationship where that you love him more than anything. Ecclesiastes chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. Or if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him as lone and fails and will not have another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. That's why my cold feet get put on Leslie at night, and she hollers at me. It's supposed to be the other way around. I'm kind of a weirdo. My feet freeze, and I stick them on Leslie. It's usually the opposite way. Usually the woman doing that to the man, but it's all right. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. I love this verse, and I quote this a lot. A lot of preachers in a lot of places you'll hear this. It says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let me tell you this about your relationship and about marriage. It's, it's a weird verse right there. He's talking about two people, two people laying down, two people keeping each other warm, two people this, two people that. You need two people to withstand other things. And then the end of the verse it says, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. What's the third strand in the cord of marriage? Jesus. Sammy, make sure. Guard it, man. Make sure. You two are perfect. But with Jesus binding you together, it can't break, man. God wants to mold unbreakable relationships. Dennis, go home and grab candy. And allow some God to get thrown into that mix and watch it not be able to break. A threefold cord is not easily broken. A relationship that God is in will not be tore apart. Some people say, well, Ben, I don't know. I've been to church and I've, I've witnessed two Christians and they got a divorce. I've seen it. But guess what? Somebody lost focus. If both of you, if if you're standing here and your wife is standing here and that door is your focus, and let's picture that door being Jesus, that He's our destination, He's our goal, He's the place I want to be. If both of you are focused there and going in that direction, you cannot separate. Amen. It's inseparable. Why? Because it's bonded together because of singular in purpose. God wants you. To be in awe of what he's doing in your life. Relationships are everything. Family. There's community. There's church. There's co-workers. There's friends. Don't throw away. Don't throw away friendships. Don't act like they don't matter. Don't act like I can just get another one. God wants to work in your friendships. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keeping love for one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. How many need your sins covered? Amen? Yeah. Love covers a multitude of sins. So if you love your friends and you love your family, you love your community, you love your church, it'll cover a multitude of sins. We're not perfect here at Bethesda. I assure you that. We're a ragtag bunch. If you don't believe me, look around. But love is here. I love the people at Bethesda. I love when people visit. I love when families come through the door. And that covers a multitude of sins. 
What type of sweetheart deal are you looking for? What type of deal are you looking for? Let's see if you play something. Let's stand. I'm going to read you a little story about relationships. Morris and his wife, Esther, went to the state fair every year. And year after year, Morris would say, Esther, I'd like to ride in that helicopter. Esther always replied, I know, Morris, but that helicopter ride is $50. And $50 is $50. One year, Esther and Morris went to the fair. Morris said, Esther, I'm 85 years old. If I don't ride that helicopter, I might not get, never get another chance. To this, Esther replied, Morris, that helicopter ride is $50, and $50 is $50. The pilot overheard this conversation. He looked at the couple and he said, Folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take both of you for a ride. If you can stay quiet for the entire ride and not say a word, I won't charge you. But if you say one word, then it'll be $50. Morse and Esther agreed, and up they went. Pilot did, the pilot did all kinds of fancy maneuvers, but not a word was heard. He did daredevil tricks and over and over again, but not a word. When they landed, the pilot turned around to Morse and said, By golly, I did everything I could to get you to yell out, but you didn't. I'm impressed. Morse replied, Well, to tell you the truth, I'm al I almost said something when Esther fell out, but you know what? $50 is $50. Let's all bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. God, I pray that wisdom was imparted in this place today. God, that you would apply these things. Lord, that there would be an anticipation for us looking to the eastern sky, expecting your son Jesus to come and receive us to himself. God, help us to be ready. I pray that you fill every heart in this place full of oil today. Let their wicks be trimmed. Lord, let them be burning bright in their community. And God, for the relationships in this room, I pray for husbands and wives. God, that you would cause a bond to happen, Lord, greater than ever before. Lord, that they would have a singular purpose of both of them gazing at your son Jesus. That they would be set on fire by the Spirit of God. And God, for those in the room maybe that are going through troublesome times in relationships with their friends or their family. God, I pray that you were anointing oil that flowed down Aaron's beard would reach them today in this place. And Lord, that their hearts would be mended. That your Spirit would do the work of setting things straight. And God, for those in the room today that maybe are not married, but they're looking, they're searching for someone. God, I pray that you would, you would mold that helpmeet that you have for them. And Lord, that they would trust you in waiting. God, help us all to be faithful. Faithful to you, faithful to your church, and faithful to your son. In Jesus' name, amen.